All right. Well, as we are in uh, both Juneteenth and Father's Day, I don't know if you know this, there's not a text for those two holidays. No, there's some parallels, but there's not like a, I mean, some churches may have found one. Uh, this one didn't. Um, but we're going we're gonna to look at a festival that actually gets four whole chapters in the Gospel of John. One, I don't know if you guys noticed that, but John 7 through John 10 all take place during this festival that's called the Festival of Lights or the Festival of the Booths. And um, this is a seven-day festival that was mandatory for anyone who was of the Jewish faith to, and, and male so there we go. But for, mandatory for them to come and, and celebrate in, in Jerusalem. And they would come in. And it was a time where they celebrated the gathering of produce that produced both oil and wine. So they gathered the, the olives for oil. And they gathered the grapes. And they would have this celebration. But it had double purpose. You both celebrated that. And it was a time to remember and so they would, like on their patios, they would sleep in tents to remember the times that they were in the desert and to remember that God had provided. And I think it's, I think it's an interesting one to be looking at in Juneteenth particularly because we know that Rome is like over everybody, right? And Rome is super restrictive and yet this was the most joyous celebration every year. That was like the rule of it. Actually, that was a, I don't know that we know this, and so we'll talk about it in July. Um, that was actually a rule of the Sabbath, too. Like, it was sinful to be sad on the Sabbath. It was sinful to, to like, dwell on your sin. You know, that's how rabbis saw it, because, like, you're sad all the time. This is, this is a break from that. This is a time to celebrate. And this was the festival where like, no, it might be true that Rome is still winning, but we're remembering and we're going to celebrate and we're going to be joyous. And particularly, they remembered three things. They remembered that God brought manna when they were in the wilderness. They remembered that water came from the rock. And they remembered the guidance from the fiery cloud. And if we think of what Jesus said in John 7 through 10, it's very interesting how he spoke to each of those three things. But if you open up chapter 7, uh, there is rumblings in the city. And, and it's really clear as John's writing that there's like discussion about what's happening in the city and there's some goings on. And I don't, it made me think of times that I was at like the waterfront or other places where there's a lot of people and then uh, something happens and it starts to ripple through the gathering. You, you know what I mean? Where all of a sudden you can tell, like, oh, something's going on. And depending on your personality, you do something different. Like, if, if there's a rumbling that maybe somebody famous is there or there's some event happening, Nikki will go to it. I will go a, far, far away. I'll go the other way. Like, there's more people over there. Let's go over here. And, and she'll be like, no, wherever the more people are, that's where I want to be. And we all kind of have different, different ways of handling crowds and handling like the, the bubbling news of things. I was just talking to Eric and Whitney about this just in real life stuff on how personality-wise we deal with all this differently. 
But there's rumblings at this party. Rumblings that Jesus is a good man. People are just talking to him. He, he's, he's good. He's a good man. And then others are like, no, he's, he's deceiving you. And this is happening just kind of around. The whole crowd is confused. They're wondering who it is that wants to arrest Jesus. But they're also wondering, is he actually the Messiah? And then in being the actual Messiah, they're like, no, we know where Jesus came from, and we thought we wouldn't know where the Messiah comes from, so he couldn't be. And others are, are, are saying, well, no, I think the Messiah would do a whole lot more than Jesus has done. Jesus has done some cool things, but I think he would have done more, which I think some of us have wrestled at times with God on the way and the amount of the ways that he does things. And we see in chapter 7, go ahead and read through it sometime, that the chief priests are then just sending the guards to arrest Jesus. The whole city is, is buzzing. A few times in chapter 7, we see that Jesus wants to start teaching and he gets interrupted with questions and all of this kind of chaos is breaking out in the middle of the party. And as the festival is ending, and again, this is not like a two-hour festival. This is, this is a week, right? This is like, probably like Derby, where a bunch of outsiders come in and celebrate for a week, right? Like, think of it. I know quite a few of, of us live in neighborhoods around it. Think about how different it is to go to Kroger and that you're fighting other people for your staple food. <laughs> this is what it's, it's like at the time. But in verse 37, I'm, I'm not going to paraphrase here. I'm going to read these three verses. On the last day of the festival, the great day, while Jesus was standing there, he cried out, let anyone who is thirsty come to me. And let the one who believes in me drink, as the scripture has said, out of the believer's heart shall flow rivers of living water. Now he said this about the spirit, which believers in him were to receive, for as yet there was no spirit, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So that last verse is explaining what we have looked at over the past couple months, that the Holy Spirit came once Jesus ascended, and after his resurrection, and all of this, and that's when the Holy Spirit's coming. But particularly verse 37 and 38 is what we're going to sit in here. First of all, I think it's so interesting that Jesus cries out. Jesus doesn't just, like, make a statement. He doesn't gather himself and collect his thoughts and then give his best insight. He cries out from I believe from this very emotional place, this thing that is most core, most in him, comes flying out. You know when you cry out, you kind of, I don't, well, let me ask it this way. Have you ever cried out and then been surprised at what comes out? Like, oh, I didn't know that was in there. I thought it was much more dignified than that. I, I remember that this is, this is really, really honest, but you guys are my friends. I remember the day that I found out that, that Jamel was going back to his, his home church. I mean, he's my buddy, right? Like, this church was our dream. And even as he told me, I was like, no, I'm, I get it. And intellectually, this has always been true. I get it. That's such an honor that you got invited back, and all of that's true. But I remember 
I drove as fast as I could to my spiritual director. And when I got to my spiritual director, I just burst out, why am I so leavable? And then I was like, what is that? What is that? But at like the core of me, there was this feeling of like, ugh. And it wasn't about Jamel. None of this is picking on him. He, he just followed God as God led him. But there was this core belief in me that just came out. And all of a sudden, old feelings about my dad and all these things started to surface as my body cried out. You know what I mean? In those moments where your body most cries out, when your emotions pour out, something that is at your core comes out. And sometimes we're a little bit surprised. I remember I wished that I had drove a little slower that day and gathered my thoughts so I had something much more polite to say <laughs> than burst out with that vulnerable insecurity at like 40-something. But Jesus cries out. And we see what is at the core of who Jesus is. And it's this, let anyone who is thirsty come to me. And let the one who believes in me drink. That's at the core of him. When he's crying out, think of the different times in Scripture that he cries out. He is forgiving. He is making room for everyone. They're at this celebration where everybody's wondering who's in, who's out, who's good, who's bad, all of this. And at the core of who he is, he's like, just if someone acknowledges they're thirsty, let them come. If they believe, let them drink. That's it. Everybody. Everybody. This is to a people who had dreamt prophetically of the day when rivers would flow out of the temple and heal the lands. And he said, out of the people who believe in me, rivers of living water will pour out. The Holy Spirit will pour out of those people. And to me this week, as I sat in this text, this felt deeply with me. And part of what felt deeply for me is that the cry of Jesus matches the cry of our Father. And if you are like me at all, when Father's Day comes around, there is an embodied feeling of our relationship to our dads or lack of relationship to our dads. And then if you are a dad, there's a bit of a performative feeling that comes up. What do I get on the report card? And some of us feel great, and some of us go hide behind the grill all day. And that's like how it works. We have this embodied reaction. But there is another layer that heals all of that, good, bad, or otherwise. Our Heavenly Father has the same cry as Jesus embodies here. And that cry is everyone. Let everyone come. Let everybody drink. All who believe, that's enough. Let them in. I don't know if that matters to you, this connection to the Father and Jesus, but to me, it's deeply healing. I'm at a place personally right now where, where my dad has been gone so long that sad, I don't remember what he sounds like. And that feels panicky. And, and my mom, I deeply love my mom. She's, she's getting married this summer, and that's super exciting. 
and super like, wow, kicks up all this emotion for me. And thankfully, the guy is, uh, he's a great guy, and he loves my mom well, and she really loves him, and she's really cute with him, like, which I'd <laughs> never really seen. Like, it's really cute, this budding romance between the two of them. But it happens as I forget what my dad sounded like. I forgot what he, he smelled like. Some of those things are starting to fade. But I know that in this room, some of us, like where I can't forget what my dad's voice, or I, I have forgotten my dad's voice, some of us can't forget our dad's voice. And it would maybe be helpful if some of the messages our dad said could be forgotten. Some of the harsh words could be let go of. But there's something healing in the fact that Jesus cries for anyone and everyone. And that that is the heart of our Father on this Father's Day. Then we have this whole people gathered together to commemorate and honor and celebrate where they've been and to wait for this full freedom that they're still waiting for, right? They're celebrating God's provision and deliverance as they're waiting for God's continued provision and deliverance. And this liberation matches Jesus' cry. And so if you have this deep desire for liberation, that matches Jesus' cry. If you realize that like the, the sin of racism as, is as entombing to white people as it is to our African-American brothers and sisters and our Latino and Asian brothers and sisters and all of that, that we are all in bondage here, we all need liberation. As we really take an honest look at classism, we all desperately need liberation. And then we can look at things like this, that in the middle of these mechanisms and systems being just shady as all get out, they would celebrate God's provision in past days and prophetically hope for the future. And to know that your desire for liberation is not yours alone. It matches the cry of Jesus. It may not match culture, but it does match Christ. And I want you to know that we know from the text that creation is groaning with you. The groan for freedom is getting louder and louder. And so do that in joy, maybe in, even in defiant joy knowing that you're not alone. And so in closing, I just have three questions from this text that I want to ask you. I want to ask you to ponder them. If you're one who makes notes, go ahead and pull out your note app or a piece of paper and write these down. And, and if one strikes you, please even text me or email me or call me this week and let's talk about it. But the first question is what? might you need to, to remember? What might need to be remembered right now? The festival of booths was 
celebrating these first steps out of out of slavery and bondage in Egypt into recovering who they were in the desert. Juneteenth has some memories too. August 8th has special memories for Tennessee. People who have had part of their past written there. But what is it that you need to remember? Maybe it's how God provided for you. Or how God has been near to you. Maybe it's how you have made it to today. One of the things I don't think we do enough is have compassion for ourselves. We just, I'm not pretending we're out of it, but the last couple years have been nuts for the world. And we're here. And we're not attacking each other. We're mostly smiling at each other and kind of awkwardly hugging, fist bumping each other. That's a beautiful thing. You've made it to today. What is it? How did God sustain you? What is it that needs to be remembered? The second question, what might God do within us as we look outside of us? The people gathered in John 7 through 10 were dreaming of this day when the rivers of living water would flow out of the temple. People are still dreaming of that today. And what a beautiful sight and what a beautiful day that is. But what Jesus is saying in that verse 39 or 38 is you do not have to wait for then when the Holy Spirit comes. Those rivers of living water are to flow out of those who believe. That work that is going to be done out of the temple someday, and that's significant because it's systemic, right? That matters because systems are healing there. But that work that is supposed to someday be there is jump-started now in you and in me. And this living water is to live and pour out of us right now. What, what might God be doing within us as we look outside? We look outside for systems to be liberating and begin freeing people. But how might Jesus be freeing you right now, inside? What might he be healing inside of you right now as we wait for things outside of us to heal? Peace is desperately needed in this world, both the shalom that we talk of and the absence of violence. Like, both are desperately needed outside of ourselves, within nation to nation, and within nations alone, right? Within our nation. And yet, where might God be bringing peace within you first? As we still hold on to this hope for peace outside of ourselves. And third, do we believe belief is enough? Of course, belief is to come out of our actions and, and it is, it is to, to mend and heal us so even when we cry out, we, we cry out through faith. But if you're like me, when I'm honest, I, I've got belief plus a whole bunch of stuff I think I need to do right. 
whole bunch of things that I, I, w- I want to do well, even, frankly, even for you guys, because I love this community. So, I, I, oh, I got to get better at this. I got to do this and that and all of this silly stuff when Jesus really the cry of his heart. It's like, no, nah, if they acknowledge they're thirsty, give, give them a drink. If someone believes we're good, I can work with that. And if you feel a little bit like you stumbled in here today and that's about all you've got, I don't know that Jesus ever asked for more. And maybe, just maybe, you stumbled in in the most profoundly open way. Because Jesus can do a lot with that. They remembered manna. And in their presence was the bread of life. They remembered water and in their presence was the living water which they would never thirst again. They remembered this fiery pillar in the presence of the light of the world. And Jesus being in their presence transformed their memory then. And Jesus with us, I believe, can do the same within you and within me today. So, Let's pray and ask God to do that that very thing. Okay? Let's pray together.